to the book of 1 Thessalonians. This is in the New Testament. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's a pew Bible in front of you. love for you to use that. It'll be on page 587, and it would be helpful if I turn to the right page as well. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, as you're uh, navigating that spot there, uh, you can use your mobile device as well. And uh, we're in this series going through the book of Thessalonians, and uh, the, the series is just entitled Afterlife. And we've been navigating this whole book of the Bible. We like to preach through books of the Bible here regularly at Plaza. And so that we can get a grasp on what does God's word mean, what does it say, and, um, and, and just have our minds thoroughly soaked in God's word. And so as you're finding that uh, passage there, we've navigated this book and we've seen this is a church plant that Paul has planted. It's a brand new church plant. They're young in the faith. And uh, man, the, the great thing is they are doing an awesome job. And he's commending them for their love. He's saying, man, the way you guys love your neighborhood, the way you love your community, the way you love other churches, man, it's it's like spreading. You guys get the gospel. You understand that the most important thing, it, the most important commandment is to love God and then to love others. And so he's like, you guys are killing it. And then in chapter three, he goes on to say, right, that, um, hey, there's still some things lacking in your faith. And you guys have got some questions, mainly about what happens when people die. And so he answers that in chapter three and chapter four, where he talks about, hey, you know, they're, they're being persecuted. And even when Paul was there, they were persecuted and Paul had to leave the city prematurely. And um, man, they're they're struggling. And, and he says, man, you got this new faith and Jesus one day is going to come back and make all things right and restore the world, restore humanity from this mess of brokenness that exists in our world. And God is going to come back and make all things new. And they're like, yes, this sounds great. But then people start dying. Maybe from the persecution, maybe just from natural causes. We don't necessarily know. But they're like, hey, Paul, what happens to people that die? You said Jesus was coming back, and um, he's not back yet. And what happens to people that die? So Paul answers that question, saying, hey, don't worry about them. Their spirit is in heaven. Their body is, is, is dead, and that's okay. And, uh, but they're with Christ. And then, and then when he comes back, we're all going to meet him there. And God's going to transform us. And so he answers those questions. And now they have some more questions, and, um, and they're, they're navigating some troubles here in the fifth chapter. And as, as before we get into this text, I just want to know, um, we need a little audience participation, really, um, because I want to know how many of you are not good test takers, right? Just raise your hands. You're not a good test taker, right? You know the information, but when it comes time for the test, you're like, ah, I freak out, right? Or maybe um, it's not that you're not a good test taker. You just need an excuse because you didn't study, right? I mean, you had to explain your GPA some way, so you might as well just be like, I'm not a good test taker, right? Some of us have done that before, right? It's like, I just get nervous. No, you just didn't study, and, um, and that's the reality, right? How many of you, so on the other side of the equation, how many of you uh, enjoy taking tests, right? We want to know where you are, right? Hey, we, we all hate you in this room. We're glad you're here, but we all hate you, right? You guys are the ones, like, reminding the teacher. You remember that person? Hey, didn't you say we had a test? He's like, be quiet. What are you doing? She almost forgot. Pop quiz, and then you got to remind the teacher about that. And um, some of us enjoy taking tests. Um, some of us hate taking tests, you know, especially tests that are crazy, that have an inordinate amount of information on them, you know, and ones that, like, they tell you your whole life depends on this, something like the SAT, right? You know, they, they're, they're like having kids prepare at four years old for the SAT. It's like, hey. If you're, not, if you're not ready for the SAT, you're just going to flunk in life, and um, it, it'll determine everything, uh, all your potential. It'll determine your future college options. It'll determine your future job options. It'll even determine the color of the eyes of your baby, and so you, you had better get the SAT 
Right, and uh, there's a lot of pressure, right? And um, it's a difficult thing here. I remember taking the SAT. I had to take it a couple times, you know, and because uh, uh, you can add up the best of your scores. And so I, I took full advantage of that. So I took it several times and uh, went to a little SAT prep class a uh, number of times. And um, it was it was fun times. I won't tell you what I got on the SAT, and um, but I did get my name correct. And um, so I know I know I got points for that one. And um, and now they changed the way kids take the SAT. Now they had all these new portions, I think. Um, so like the perfect score now is like 2,400. And so, uh, so especially if I told you what I got, I wouldn't compare it to the 2,400 number. That's for sure. And, um, so whether you like tests or don't like tests, uh, you know, the reality is, um, we all like things that are tested. Have you thought about that? None of us really like tests, but we do like things that are tested. How many of you are grateful they tested your brakes on your car before you bought it or before you drove it away from the mechanic, right? You're grateful for that? How many of you are grateful that other drivers are tested before they get on the road with you, right? How many of you, how many of you think that, that the testing needs to improve for that, you know, and, and maybe raise the testing age? Um, my daughter, Lydia, she is uh, navigating close to asking about her permit and, and wanting to know all that sort of stuff. And it's like, wow, this is really... And so I'm, I'm praying, uh, and I'm going to write uh, those in power. I think they should raise the driving age to about 30. And uh, so I think that'll be good. Uh, my daughter will uh, probably burn that letter that I send. And, uh, and uh, how many of you are grateful, though, you know, you've been on a plane before? How many are grateful that the pilot gets tested right before he flies the plane? Right? He just didn't feel led by the Spirit to get in the cockpit and um, just take off, right? Just, I just feel led today, and uh, I think I'm going to drive a plane, fly a plane. How many are grateful that the plane and the mechanics get tested, right? Yeah, all that stuff is important. Uh, how many are grateful that uh, the doctors that we see have to get tested? They just weren't one day thinking, you know what? I kind of kind of like uh, biology. I kind of like Gray's Anatomy. I think I could be a surgeon. And they just you know peruse the the little book there and just figure, hey, you're grateful that they they got tested, right? They had to go through a process. In order to get tested, how many are grateful that the medicine, right? You you want to know the medicine they prescribe you has been tested before you insert it into your system, right? I mean that's a big deal, and um and and before you know the even it's tested, you want to know that the person who works in the pharmacy has been tested. They give you the right dosage amount and everything else, right? Life is a lesson, and you will be tested. So reach over, touch your neighbor, go ahead and get to know them real well. Tell them, pay attention. Pay attention. You will be tested on this material. Ushers, break out the number two pencils. We got Scantrons coming. We got Scantrons. They still use Scantrons? They still use Scantrons? Any kids in here use Scantrons? I got a bunch of homeschool kids. So I don't, yeah, so use Scantrons still today? All right. I'm not as archaic as I thought I was. And um, so I Life is a lesson and you will be tested. And so we're going to talk about a test and, and that life is a test. And, and oftentimes we think about the, the big test at the end, the final exam when we stand before God. And a lot of people think like that's the big test. What, what will you say when you stand before God on judgment day? Will you pass that test? Because the reality is all of us are going to die as we talk about afterlife, and all of us are going to die and stand before God. It's, it's going to happen. The Bible says 
it is appointed uh, to man to die once and then face the judgment. We're going to stand before God, and, and that's a test. And a lot of times uh, we're taught in churches, in fact, I was taught uh, just a, a method of evangelism, a training class, and, and you were to ask people, you were to go up to ask people, you know, if you were to die tonight, and um, do you know for sure that you would go to heaven? And uh, people are always dying at night. There's no daytime deaths when you ask that question. And, um, and that's a great icebreaker to have with people, isn't it? Right? If you were to die tonight, and people are like, are you going to kill me? Like, are you psychotic? You just came to my door, and uh, what's, what's the deal? And so, um, but it is an important question. It is an important test question. What, what will you say to God? Are you ready for that test? And other people say, well, you know, the, the more important test is what you do on a daily basis. Do you, do you live for God on a daily basis? And, and really what I want to present to you this morning is that there is a test. And, and both of those questions are really part of the same test. It's not like, oh, I just think about that test one day when I die. And I don't think about it during the everyday life. And it's also not, I just think about everyday life and I don't think about what happens when I die. Both of those questions are really answering the same thing. They're both really the same question because... What you know about eternity and how you're going to stand before God impacts what you do on a Monday and a Tuesday this week. And what you do on a Monday and a Tuesday this week impacts what you truly believe about eternity. Let me see if I can help you out a little more and explain that. Right? Because if I know, if I know that I'm going to stand before God and, and give an account for my life, if I know that I'm, I'm, I'm going to be in the presence of God, I'm, I'm going to make daily choices every day. Not that I'm working my way into God's grace. But because God has changed me so much, because I know about that day, I'm a new person. And it impacts what I do. And so sometimes both of those questions are what we need to ask. And so I, I used to look at Jesus, right? This is how I looked at Jesus. Jesus was just my ticket out of here. And I only thought about Jesus for later on. I didn't think that Jesus was not just my ticket, but he was my teacher for every day. Do you know what I'm saying? He's my teacher for every day. Life. I didn't understand that, that trusting Jesus for the afterlife, but not trusting him for the day to day. So the real test is not just what will you say to God when you die. But the real test is, will you live for Jesus right now? Because those are intimately connected and you can't have one without the other. And so the test of life is what we're talking about. And that happens. How do I treat my kids? How do I speak to my spouse? How do I handle my money? How do I treat my coworkers? How do I respond to people that I don't think are that important? How do I respond to uh, the, the other people in my class and on my sports teams? See, the Thessalonians are, are wrestling with this. And, uh, and the title for the message is, and, and here's the test that we're going to take today is, are you a children? Are you a, are you a children? Yeah, you're, you're plural. We're plural today. You can have multiple personalities. It's all right. And, um, are you a child of the light or are you a child of the night? And this is really what Paul is going to talk about here in this fifth chapter is, is he's going to kind of give them this reminder of this test, okay, that happens at the end but also happens every day. Are you a child of the light or are you a child of the night? And so let's read the, the scripture passage here in First Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to read the first 11 verses and then uh, we'll, we'll see what the Lord has to say to us. Verse 1, you guys found it? Everybody's had the chance. Verse 1, chapter 5, it says this. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. 
What is he talking about there earlier in chapter 4? He was talking about the day of the Lord, the day of Christ's return, the second coming, the second coming of Christ. Some people call that the rapture. And, uh, and that's actually taken from the word uh, there in chapter 4. It says to be caught up or to be snatched up. That's what the word rapture means, the second coming. So he says, concerning times and the season, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. You don't, you don't need to concern yourself about that is what he's saying. For you yourselves, verse 2, are fully aware that the day of the Lord, that's the day he's coming back, y'all, will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. Watch this. For you are all children of light, children of of the day. We are not of the night or of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Verse 7. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. So whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Let's pray together. This is God's word. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's true. It's been tested over time. It's not just dried ink written on dead wood, but it is eternal, speaking to us, even in 2019, speaking to people of any race, age, color, gender. God, this is your love letter to us. And Lord, it cuts and speaks to the deepest part of us. It encourages us when we need encouragement. God, it challenges us when we need to be challenged. Lord, it helps us when we're lost and lonely and depressed. God, thank you for your love letter. We pray you'd speak to us now, that you give each of us ears to hear your word. God, and encourage, Father, to obey it by your spirit working in us. Father, I pray you'd help me, a sinner, communicate your truths today, Father. And as you're there in your seat, I just want to encourage you to have a little conversation with God just right there wherever, wherever you're at, wherever you're on your spiritual journey. Maybe just want to say something like this in the quietness of your heart to God. Just right there, say, Lord, speak to me. Lord, speak to me. And I say something like this, for Lord, I intend to obey. Lord, I intend to obey. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Children of the light or children of the night. Reach over, touch your neighbor, tell them, are you a child of the light? Are you a child of the light? Now, this is not talking about people who like to, who are night people. This is not what we're talking about here, right? It's okay to, it's okay to be a night owl. I know some of y'all are night owls, some of y'all are morning people. That's okay. That's personalities. What we're talking about is, is there light inside of you or is there darkness inside of you? Because the Bible says, even as we read earlier uh, during our worship time, where, where David said, he says, surely I was sinful at birth. The Bible says we're born Sinners, we're born with darkness inside of us, and it's Christ that comes in and, and brings the light to us. And so how do we know 
How do we test if we're children of the light? So I have those five things here in this passage, I believe, that help us see whether or not we are children of the light or children of the night. The first one you can write down is this. Number one is children of the light anticipate the return of Christ. Children of the light anticipate the return of Christ. They're looking forward to it. They're excited about it. They're encouraged by it. We're children of the night. Man, that's a scary thing. Knowing that Jesus would return, that judgment would come. But children of the light, they're, they're actually looking forward to that day. And it's interesting how we have these polar opposites. Because one brings fullness to children of light. It brings love. It brings redemption. It brings healing. It brings freedom from this body and from the struggles I've been facing, from my problems, from my addictions. Man, that's what it brings to the children of light. But to children of night, it, it, it brings final destruction. And that's a difficult thing. Look at the text here, right? Because the Thessalonians had some questions as they were waiting. And so here's the right way to anticipate the return of Christ. Look at verse 1. He says, Now concerning the times and season, uh, brothers, uh, you have no need to have anything written to you. For, verse 2, you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord, that's the day, right, will come like a what? Like a thief in the night. They had some questions about this, as we said earlier. And, 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 and people are saying, what is the day of the Lord? Should I be worried about that day? How long do I have to prepare for that day? And, and dates and times get a, a big picture for a lot of Christians. You may have heard TV preachers or people you know say, I, I believe the Lord is coming back on this day. And this happened. Many false teachers have predicted that. But what does the Bible clearly say? It says, no man knows the hour or the day. And so we don't need to worry about the, the, the day. Should we be concerned about this in advance? How do you prepare for this? Paul says, look, you already know the answer to that. You know that he's coming back. You don't need, right there in verse 1, you don't need any further instructions. You got the information you need. But how many of you know some of us say we just get a little too detail-oriented? Like, is he coming back this day? Is he coming back that day? And people can lose their minds thinking about the return of Christ and just get all off task. And he's saying what you need to know is he's coming back. And that's a sure thing. That is going to happen. You don't know when it will happen. But what you do need to be is prepared, right? And he gives us an analogy like a thief in the night, right? You can still be prepared. Can you be prepared for a thief? I mean, a thief is not going to send you a text and be like, yo, I'm coming over to rob your stuff. He's not going to put like a, a, an appointment reminder in your Google calendar so it sends you a notification like, I'll be there next Thursday when you're uh, out at Bible study, right? But if you know that a thief is coming, you can prepare, right? How? I mean, you get an alarm system, right? You get an alarm system. You, you get Arlo. Uh, you, you get a blank camera system. You, you, get, you get a, uh, what's, what's the other one? The ring, the ring camera, right? Those are all popular nowadays. I was uh, picking up my girls last night at a friend's house, and uh, the guy didn't have a doorbell, and, uh, but he had one of those little Arlo cameras outside. And um, uh, because I'm so intelligent and I scored so high on the SAT, um, I actually just knocked on the door. I saw no doorbell. So I thought, well, I, I've, I've been in plenty of places that don't have a doorbell. So I just knocked, and I, they let me in. And then some other guys came later, and they're like, I couldn't figure out how to get in your house, man. And, uh, and this guy was talking about buying something on Craigslist, and he said, can you buy a doorbell on Craigslist? Because you don't have a doorbell. And he was like, I was looking at that little Arlo thing, and he was like, I was like, do I shake it? And, uh, and the other guy, uh, it had a sync button. He was like, do I press the sync button? Is that the doorbell? And I thought, well, I don't know what they scored on their SAT, but at least I'm ahead of them. And um, so I felt a little bit better about myself. I at least learned how to knock, you know. And uh, so that, that made me feel better. But you can prepare for a thief, right? You don't know when he's coming, but you can prepare. 
You don't need to get stuck in the days and times. How do we prepare as believers? How do we prepare as an unbeliever? If you know if, if you know Christ is coming back and you don't know him, you can prepare by receiving him, the free gift of salvation, by getting to know God personally. It's a gift, and all you have to do is receive it. You, you turn from your sins and you receive his grace. He loves you so much. He doesn't want to bring destruction. He wants to bring love to you, and that's how you can prepare. You prepare right now today. Now, where did Paul get these words from, right? He, he'll return like a thief in the night. I find it so amazing that even though Paul was an apostle, he wasn't around. He wasn't one of the original 12 apostles around hearing the words of Jesus. He got saved much later. He hated the church. He was persecuting the church after Jesus had uh, died and rose again. And he was attacking the church. But yet he has, man, God spoke to him. And, and, and he has all the same wording and verbiage. This is another reminder for me that the Bible is, is true and verified because Paul is, this, in essence, even though he wasn't there preaching the exact same message. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus said these very words. See if you see how familiar they are. Verse 20, uh, 36 of Matthew 24, Jesus said this, But concerning the day or the hour, no one knows. Who knows? No one, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only who? The Father. Verse 37, For as it were in the days of Noah, so will it be in the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days... Before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving a marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. Verse 39. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Verse 40. Two men, watch this. Two men will be in the field and one will be taken and one left. Verse 41. Two women will be grinding at the mill and one will be taken. And one left. What is he talking? He's talking about the rapture, and the rapture is when Christ comes back to to receive His bride. And so, one of these people, one of the men, was was a believer, and one wasn't a believer. One of these women was a believer, and the other wasn't. They will be snatched up, and they'll be caught up into heaven. The question for us is, man, what will happen to me on that day? I don't know when that day is going to occur, but I can prepare for it ahead of time. Do you see what I'm saying? That's the test. You know, the test is coming. You can prepare. You don't have to study hard. The only answer key you need to know is this for your number two pencils and your Scantron, right? Is J-E-S-U-S, -S, right? I remember back in like the sixth grade, somebody told me if you put Abaca, 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 that would give you like an automatic uh, 100 on the Scantron. How I many you know that didn't work? And, um, you know, Abaca, 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 you just make a pattern. And, uh, yeah, I was I was gullible enough to believe that and try that. And, um I wanted a hundred so bad I couldn't get it any other way, you know. And so I figured, why not try it? And um, and so he says here, continue reading with me. So one will be taken, right? And and then um, verse forty-two. I'm still in Matthew, right? Therefore, therefore, stay awake. Stay what? Awake, for you do not know on what day our Lord is coming. Verse forty-three. But you know this: that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Verse 44. Therefore, you also must be what? Ready. Are you ready, sir? Are you ready, ma'am? Are you ready, teenager, young person? Are you ready, single person? Ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. He is coming back, ladies and gentlemen. Will you be ready for that day? I hope so. He's giving you a chance right now. 
If you're here in this room hearing my voice, God is giving you an opportunity to be ready if you're not ready. And you can know with surety. You don't have to guess and wonder. God wants you to be sure that you'll be ready. And your, and your only plea would be this. Man, I've trusted Christ. I, I cling to him. I am not perfect. I'm not righteous. I don't do everything right. But, man, I know this. I love Jesus, and, and I'm depending upon him because he's covered my sins. And I've turned from doing life my way, being the, uh, in charge of my life and sitting on the throne of my life. And I want Jesus to be on the throne of my life. That's the only reason I know that I'm ready for the test. Because Jesus takes the test for you, amen? And he took it on that cross. He took the full force of God's wrath for sinners like us because that's what an awesome God he is. And so back to Thessalonians, right back to Thessalonians in verse 3, he gives us another analogy. So one analogy that we're anticipating the return of Christ as children of the light. The second analogy is pregnancy. Verse 3 says this, while people are saying there is peace and security, security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon pregnant women. And so he gives us another analogy, right? How I many you know a baby being born doesn't really surprise a mother? So I'm like, oh, I didn't know this was going to happen. We, ha- we have a lot of uh, pregnant women here at Plaza. I'm real grateful for that. Shout out to all the pregnant ladies here. Me and my wife have done our job for many years being fruitful and multiplying and and now there's a new generation, and we got some babies coming, y'all, and, and excited for those people and uh, grateful for that. But it's not like they're surprised. Like, man, my stomach's been growing. I don't know what's going on here. And this all of a sudden, a baby comes out. No. They know that it's coming, and you can prepare for a baby, right? You, you get the nursery ready. You get the crib ready. You buy the stroller. You, you pick out the colors. You get some bibs. You get some monogram stuff. You know, you, you do all that stuff. You know that it's coming. And so you're not surprised on that. You, you might be surprised. I, 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 man, the doctor told me this week. I thought it was going to be next week. And yeah, that might be a little surprise of when it happens. But you're not surprised that the baby comes. Right. So you're prepared. And so Jesus is saying, you know, that it's coming. You're not like, whoa. But here's the beautiful thing. And again, this is why it's it, this is an encouraging thing for children of light, because what happens at pregnancy? We're excited for new birth to come. A brand new life has come. And when Christ returns, the believers are excited. Why? Because a brand new life is coming to every believer. For those who have struggled all their lives, brand new life comes. For those, as I was talking with with our elders and our deacons this morning, we're praying for people this morning before the service, and they're sharing the needs and people who have just lost loved ones after loved ones after loved ones, people who are struggling you know, with, with diseases and sickness that are attacking them. And it's like, man, there's just so much weight on so many people. Where is our hope? And our hope is in Christ that he's coming back, that he's going to restore and redeem all that is broken, that every loss will be turned into joy, all because of Christ. And so it's like new life is coming. This is exciting. So we anticipate the return of Christ. But then we're not really sure. Are we living in the end days? A lot of people say, well, it's the end times, right? And, and as he said earlier, you're not supposed to be concerned about the day or the time. And a lot of times people get all wrapped up in peace and security or we get wrapped up in, in fear and anxiety, right? And, um, and a lot of times people are like, oh, man. So in this verse, verse 3, he says there will be people will be saying there is peace and what? Security. And so people will be having uh, their, their minds on peace and security. And this is something we all really want. And then in the book of Second Peter, there's this uh, beautiful reminder that man, we, don't, we don't know the timing of this. So our security and our peace doesn't come from the politics, doesn't come from our health, doesn't come from our nation, doesn't come from our spouse or our children or our job. Our, our security only comes from Christ. 
Peter said this. See if, again, you don't see the similarities in it. He says, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is, is as what? A thousand years. And thousand years is as what? Then he says this. The Lord is not slow in fulfilling his promise, as some count slowness. But he is what? He's patient with you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Some of us are wondering, why hasn't Christ come back yet? What's taking so long? God, have you not seen our world? Have you not seen the poverty? Have you not seen the racism? Have you not seen the injustice? Have you not seen the cancers? Have you not seen the hatred going on? God, when are you going to come back? And we don't know the answer, but we know this. God is patient. And the reason why God is delaying in our view his coming is so that more mercy can be given. So that he can maximize forgiveness. Because he says, I don't want anyone to perish, but that all might come to repentance. And we know this, as, as it says in Genesis 51 with Joseph, what, what the enemy meant for evil, God will turn for good. And so when we look at the, at the news and when we look at our nation, we look at what's going on in our world and we see evil, evil, evil. God is like the best recycler there is. He was like, come on, devil. Come on, world. Bring all the evil. Stack it up on my desk. And I will take every amount of evil and I will turn it for good. And I will turn it for good. Keep bringing it. And I'll recycle all of it and I'll turn it for good. And the reason why he hasn't come back yet is because he is delaying that he can show mercy to as many people as possible. Because God doesn't desire. Look at the word there, right? Man, he's patiently not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God is reaching out to you. And if you're here today, you don't know Christ. He's reaching out to you. For you to know for sure, he wants you to repent and receive his love. Isn't that beautiful? I heard the story told. I think David Jeremiah told it. And uh, he told about the story. They got to meet God and have a conversation. They were talking about a verse very similar to this, right? And he says, God, I always wanted to ask you a question. I always wanted to ask you something. God, from your perspective, how long is a million years? And God says, well, from my perspective, a million years is like a second. God goes, wow. The guy goes, wow. A second, man. That's a second. Just like that. That's a million years to you. That's amazing. He's, I have a second question. The guy says, yeah. He goes, how much is a million dollars to you, God? And God responds and says, a million dollars is like a penny. It's a penny. No big deal. And the guy goes, wow. A penny. A million dollars is like a penny. And the guy goes, God, I got a third question. He goes, can I borrow a penny? And then God says, yeah, just a second. <laughs> and uh, and so God has a different timetable than we have, and so we're 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 not waiting. But then look at what the rest of the verses, or he he wishes that all would come to repentance. Verse ten. But the day of the Lord, you see the similarity, will come like a what, like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done, and it will be exposed. And so God is going to come back and remake everything. Now back to Thessalonians there where he's saying in verse 3 there's this peace and security. This was a big uh, value to the Thessalonians there. The Thessalonians for years before they were under the Roman Empire were being attacked and they couldn't do a good job defending their own town. And then the Romans, as if you're a history buff, you may know that the Romans had some different phrases. We call this time period the, the Pax Romana, the, the peace of Rome. And, and then even when they came to towns, they would give a, a word it would call Pax at securitas, which means peace and security. And in fact, we even find that, that in the city, they developed 
a, a temple to the emperor of Rome, and they built it there, and they worshiped the emperor as, as a god. Why? Because it's like Rome brought all this security to the Thessalonians, and they were taking their security from their government. And man, how, how does that still happen today when we know that our security really comes from who? It comes from the Lord. It doesn't come from any emperor. And so let, let's move from political to personal, because some of us have a false security in our own salvation. We have a false security. We think that we stand before God. God is going to judge me pretty good. I'm a pretty good person, some of you would say. I haven't murdered anybody. I haven't done anything too wrong. I don't, I don't need all this religion stuff that you're talking about, preacher man. And, uh, and, and I don't, as a personal relationship with Jesus, I, I think I'm pretty good. I think I've done a good job. I'm a church member. I, I've done all right. And your peace and your security comes from your own works. Your peace and security comes from your own ideas, from your own pride. And so notice the verse there. He's saying, watch out for people who put false security. I'm a good lady. I'm a good teenager. You think your sin is not a big deal. You have security in yourself. But I'm here to let you know you, your sin costs you. My sin costs me. And the payment for that is is death and eternal separation from God in a place called hell. It's real. And this is why Jesus came. This is why Jesus is saying these words through the scriptures to us because he wants us to not die. He doesn't want us to perish, but he wants us to receive eternal life. So if your security, sir or ma'am, is in anything else other than Jesus, you've got it in the wrong place. So the challenge for you today is to trust Christ. And so children of the light, man, they're anticipating the return of Christ. Point number two, and we'll move a little quicker here. Point number two is this. Children of the light are transformed in our nature. They're transformed in our nature. We get a brand new nature as children of the light. I don't know about you, but I was grateful for the day I met Christ and I was 18 years old. And he started to change my heart and my desires. And, and listen, I wasn't perfect, but man, he changed who I was. And all of a sudden, I, I went from saying things that were foul and, and, and disrespectful and, and from hating people and, and Man, all of a sudden my heart changed. And, and look, there were some behavior patterns that took a while to change. but And there was a heart change immediately. And my heart began to grow soft towards other people, whereas it was arrogant and prideful before. Verse 5, look at verse 5 in the, the text there. Um, verse 5 says, for you are all children of the light, right? For you are all children of the light, children of the day. For we are not of the night or of the darkness. He's saying you got a different nature. This is not just an external behavioral thing. You got a brand new heart. You've been transformed from the inside out. And this is our identity. Other places in the Bible, in Colossians, he says things like this. Colossians 1.13, he says, He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of what? Of sins. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. So, man, a verse I really loved as I became a new Christian. It says this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And doesn't that feel good? The old has passed away, and behold, what has come? The new has come. Reach over, touch your neighbor, tell them, are you a new creation? Are you a new creation? It's okay to talk to your neighbor today. It's that kind of church where you get to know people. Are you a new creation? Because children of the light have a nature that has been transformed. We're not just goody two-shoes, but, but something has happened inside of our hearts that causes us to desire God and the things of God. We become children of the light. So 
Maybe for you, you can't see it. Maybe for you, you can't feel it. You're like, I'm a new believer, pastor, and I can't quite see the change, and I can't quite feel the change. Am I really changed? Do I have a new nature? The Bible says at the moment of your conversion, it was genuine. You've received a new nature. And sometimes it takes a little while for it to work it out. And, and that's why you need community. That's why you need a church around you to help you navigate that, to be like, hey, yeah, you're changing, man. You're not who you used to be. I know you still mess up. Man, I mess up too. But you're changing. I see a difference in you. And the body of Christ can affirm that in you and say, man, keep going. That's why we need other believers around us. Even if you don't see it or feel it, you bank on God's promises. And so children of the light have a new nature. Thirdly, children of the light live differently. That's number three. You can write that down. They live differently. They have a different life. Why do they have a different life? Why do they have a different life? Because their, their nature has been changed. Their nature has been changed, right? And, and it's not that they just live differently trying to impress God. It's that it happened from the inside out. It's a tough, dark world, isn't it? And, and, and we're waiting for Jesus. And we live in the already of the victory of Jesus, but the not yet. And we're like, man, what? how am I going to make it? And, and the temptation, right, is, is to hide and, and to, uh, and, and especially for some Christians who want to get a holy huddle. They're like, man, the world is tough. It's hard out there. Let's get together with only other believers and let's have a holy huddle over here. and We'll be safe. We're just going to hide from everybody else. That's a temptation. Another temptation is, is, man, we get so tired or worn out from the difficulties of life. We just want to take a nap, right? How many of you ever been so tired you just had to take a nap, right? It's happened to all of us. Can I get a shout out for the moms? And uh, yeah, I mean, and dads, we get tired too. But sometimes you just got to take a nap. But he's saying here, he's saying there's a temptation that we want to check out. Because the world is so crazy, we just want to check out and veg and, and Netflix and chill and just let our minds go to a numb place. Look at what the text says, verses 6 and 7. He says we live differently. Look at verse 6. He says, so then let us not what? Let us not sleep. Jesus said the same thing. He said, stay awake. Let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Right? That means self-control. That means of a clear mind. I know things are tough. I know it looks like the end of the world is coming. And we get all people try to make their, their predictions about, well, Jesus is coming back. Now you see this happening in this nation, and this happening in that nation. And every generation has its own things. Right? I've heard everybody's the Antichrist from you know, from uh, back in the days uh, in the 70s and 80s and Saddam Hussein. And then, you know, Putin was going to be the Antichrist and he takes off his shirt. He's kind of like a bear sometimes. And, you know, people just get into all kinds of stuff of all this sort of stuff. And that's where, no, we're not we're not focused on these weird little details. We're focused on Christ and what he's called us to do. We're staying awake. We're not getting distracted by these things. Then look at the next part. It says, be sober. Look at verse seven. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. And then verse 8, he says, but since we belong to the day, he's reminding us that but we belong to the day, but, but we're living differently. We're staying awake and sober. And, and, and he's obviously speaking against drunkenness here, but I think there's some undertones here because there is this temptation. Why do people get drunk? Well, mainly because we can't deal with what's going on, right? It becomes a safety mechanism for a lot of us. It's like, man, I can't take all the fear and all the drama, and this is my comfort. And we run to that for comfort instead of running to Christ for comfort. It becomes our medication because we can't handle it, and, and it's like a way to go to sleep, isn't it? Or some of us, we need courage, right? What do they call alcohol? It's called liquid courage, right? I don't have courage to deal with the drama in my life and deal with my family and deal with my work and deal with my finances and deal with my kids, so I need some liquid courage. And he's saying, man, we as believers, we get our courage from a different place. 
we get our courage from Christ and, and we're not going to fall asleep and just just veg out. We're going to handle life head on and we're going to be sober. And so I know it's difficult, but we don't navigate that way. And then fourthly, as we navigate this quickly, children of the light, children of the light, number four, equip ourselves for a spiritual battle. And we don't equip ourselves with with self-medicating. We equip ourselves with things that are really going to help us because as things are difficult, I'm not I'm not going to lie to you and tell you it's not going to get hard. There's going to be darkness and there's going to be some some really some some the valley of the shadow of death as we were talking with a family who lost a loved one uh, just this past week and, and had the funeral service. The valley of the shadow, that's a hard time. And what do we need to navigate that? We need the presence of Christ and we need spiritual armor because Satan is attacking and our flesh is wilding out. And look at verse 8. So we equip ourselves for the spiritual battle in verse 8. He says, but since we belong to the day, we let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of the hope of salvation. Did you notice those three words there? He's repeated these earlier in the chapter. Uh, chapter 1, he says faith, hope, and love, where Paul also said that in Corinthians. And he says, man, these are some strong virtues. Faith, right? Faith looks back and sees God's faithfulness and knows that God has done some great works in the past. God will do great work again now. Love is for the present, man, and I need to continue to operate in love, loving my neighbors, loving people who disagree with me, loving my siblings and my spouse. And hope looks where? To the future that I know God is going to work all these things now, and I know he's coming. And so faith, hope, and love, they become part of the spiritual armor. He makes reference in a different book of the Bible, in Ephesians, which we're not going to jump into, but he, he talks about the full armor of God to stand against the, the enemy. And I'd encourage you to read that in Ephesians. But here he's saying, man, we've got to be equipped for a spiritual battle. And how you equip yourself? You put on the armor of God. You stay in his presence, and you let faith, hope, and love navigate your life. And you'll be equipped for all the difficult days. And so, children of the light equip ourselves for spiritual battle. Lastly, children of the light have a diff different destiny. And we'll close with these last couple of verses. Children of the light have a different destiny. Aren't you so glad? Pastor Friday from Nigeria was here last week. He talked about purpose and destiny. And, um, and man, I'm so grateful for that word, right? But children of the light have a different destiny, an ultimate destiny. And if you look in verse 9, notice what he says in verse 9. He says, for God has not destined us for what? God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that encouraging? Man, we've got a destiny with Christ in heaven, restored with him, so that we could live forever. And we don't need to fear his return because it means life, as we said earlier. It means joy. It means the renewal of all things, all the things that we've lost. It says, for God has not destined you for wrath, but to obtain salvation. I just need you to know here today, God hasn't destined any one of you for wrath. He's called you to salvation in himself. He's called you. He's called you. Would you respond to him? Then look at verse 10 there as, as we continue to navigate it. He says, Christ Jesus, who died for who? Died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. And then he closes with verse 11, right? Verse 11 is so encouraging. Therefore, what? Encourage one another. This should be encouraging, man. God has a different plan for you, a different destiny for you. He's called you to life. He's called you to himself, not to obtain wrath. And so encourage people with this as they're navigating the hardships of life. Encourage one another. And it says, build one another up in this 
just as you are doing. So, man, that's why we gather together as saints. That's why we need to stay in the Word. That's why we need one another is because we got to build one another up because it's difficult out here. And as we come, I'm going to ask the men to come and make the Lord's table ready. We're going to celebrate the Lord's table today. And, and what is the Lord's table? What is communion of the Lord's Supper? It's this reminder. It's this reminder that, that God has already won the victory. Isn't that a beautiful thing? On the cross, Jesus shed his blood for us. On the cross, his body was punished for us so that we don't have to be punished. And every time we gather around the Lord's table, as we take the communion, the bread and the juice here, right? It's this reminder. It's this physical reminder for us. And, and here at Plaza, it, it's, man, we, we believe the Bible teaches us a symbolic reminder. So there's nothing magical about uh, the, the, the crackers and the juice here. There's nothing hyper-spiritual about it, but it's, it's this opportunity we get to pause we get to ask God to, to, to remind us of what he's done for us, to remind us of the cross, to remind us that he's coming back again.